Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We do the highs, the lows, and obviously, you know, Lambs lambing or cows carving are the best things ever. New life in the world is amazing. And it's not always sunshine rainbow. Sometimes things go wrong. Sometimes things go right. And uh, I think that's important. You've got to show every side of it. Hello, folks. It's Jimmy Doherty here. And welcome to another episode of On Jimmy's Farm. Now, this is the podcast where we discuss environmental issues and try and give everyone a slice of the good life along the way. Now I'm a little bit croaky today, slight cold, which is a real annoyance. It's a lovely evening. It's one of those sort of weird transitional evenings where you've got the sun beginning to go down, but at the same time, this amazing storm cloud that's on its way over, and it's that deep blue, purple, and you can hear thunder. I love it. It's really sort of nature in the raw. Now I'm just doing the rounds around the wildlife park, just passing my lovely zebu cattle, which are a dwarf variety of African cows, really handsome. I'm on the way to check on my monkeys. So I've got a, two groups of Barbary macaques here in the wildlife park, and they are the monkeys that you would see on the rock of Gibraltar. And our guys here, these are rescue monkeys, so we work with an organisation to rehome often monkeys that have been used on beaches for photographs or laboratory monkeys. We've got this huge enclosure with a big wooden walkway over the top. One side, the monkeys have got this beautiful, amazing play area in this pasture. And then on the other side, we've got a lovely big wooded area where they can climb into the trees and do what monkeys do. Hello, I'm just looking at one of the females, Dee Dee, which is, uh, she's quite an old lady. And she's just there grooming herself. And there's a, oh, there's a set of eyes. One of the other dominant males from the other group, who's in his bedroom, just seeing what's going on. Anyway, forget the monkeys for a moment, on to today's guest. I have got the fantastic Tom Pemberton. Now. If you're into your farming and food production and are on Instagram, you would know of Tom Pemberton and you would have seen him on YouTube. Tom is one of the most enthusiastic young men I've ever met when it comes to farming and telling the story of what happens on a farm. Really interesting guy. We have a fantastic chat about everything farming. Him and his family have been farming and producing 
dairy products for the last 50 odd years. Really lovely guy. And what's important about Tom is that he gives the truth about farming and he really displays what goes on and the daily activities on a farm. And he uses lots of social networks to do that from Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, you name it. And I think that's really important, you know, because we need to get the message out there of how our food is produced. We need to reconnect the consumer with their food. We have a lovely chat. We talk about all things to do with food farming and reconnecting people. So I hope you enjoy this chat and I will see you all back here later on by my cheeky monkeys. So Tom Pemberton, so lovely to see you. Good morning, Jimmy. How are you doing? I'm all right. Have you had a busy morning? Well, a bit of a different morning this morning. So I've been editing videos this morning. So it's a Friday. So I've got to get a video ready for today. So I normally start about three o'clock. But obviously with this going and then I've got had someone covering me. So I had a bit of a lie in five o'clock start this morning, which was great. <laughs> Amazing. So yeah, it's been busy in a different way. My life's like changed kind of still farm a lot. But yeah, it's just changed a little bit. It's interesting because, you know, you are a obviously a full time farmer. So you are a dairy farmer, you do a bit of beef as well yep. and sheep farmer. At yep. the same time, you are also, I would say, a social media star, an author and a TV presenter as well, all rolled into one. And it's interesting because farmers now, but particularly the next generation of farmers coming through, the social media element is almost as important as the tractor yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's more important now. Well, I started just baking videos to promote our products. We didn't even have the farm shop at the moment. At the time, we just did doorstep deliveries. And my great uncle, my granddad, started it. So I, they thought there was more of a margin to deliver milk straight to the consumer and cut out all the middlemen, because that's normally where all the profit's made. It's not saying we make a lot of profit like. And then we put a raw milk vending machine up in 2016. And then my girlfriend at the time, wife now, I was like, so I want to just show it. I want to video it. But I didn't know how to video. It. I would always watch YouTube and then she did media studies and then she videoed me do it and then looking back it was like a minute and a half probably how you started I don't know I don't want to put words in your mouth but when I started I was awful and like the same words I couldn't do I had like 20 attempts at it and it was just so bad but it went live it got 11,000 views and on no 11,000 views on Facebook 200 on YouTube and then I thought oh this really worked and at the time farmers weren't really shouting about what they do I think it was because we had the old stick of an old farmer, cane in his hand, dog at the side, flat cap, and people had to eat, so they had to buy our products. But we weren't promoting the goodness that we did. It was easy to people just say how bad farmers were. So I was like, okay, this is what we do for the first one. And the second one, I did how we're rearing the calves. And like now in 2022, everyone's kind of doing it if you're on TikTok, YouTube, Snapchat, all those kind of platforms. And I think it's amazing because people need to know where the food comes from. And there's no better way than social media. I think the interesting thing, particularly with your stuff, is you're very funny with it all. And that's really a lovely watch because often... In the farming community, it can often be a bit sort of complaining or drudgery or prices aren't right and things like that. But I think the important thing with the, the social media is it really does lift the lid on farming and the reality of it. Because coming from the TV world, and there's lots of shows on about farming at the moment, but it can be quite edited and it can create quite a rosy picture. And often the arguments 
for farming or where farming has to defend itself in the face of veganism or the environmental issues, the social media allows farmers to tell their story without being edited yeah, yeah, or yeah. in a way, you know, it's a certain freedom to it, which I think is really important. Yeah, 100%. I think the consumer, when they watch my videos, can make their own choice. And that was the big thing. You know, this is what we do. So I make videos two or three times a week now and I can't edit them out. I can't edit the murky bits out. It's too much. There's a wide lens. It's all there to see the, what's going on behind me. We do the highs, the lows and everything. So we've had Cal go down to the splits. You know, I've had a twisted stomach. I've had C-section when the vet comes in. You know, not all the time it works. Sometimes it does. Most of the time it does because we try really hard to do so. And obviously, you know, Lamb slamming or cows carving are the best things ever. New life in the world is amazing. And it's not always sunshine rainbow. Sometimes things go wrong. Sometimes things go right. And uh, I think that's important. You've got to show every side of it. Yeah. When we have kids come round and we just describe everything that happens on the farm, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. When we did a show based on our farm and the wildlife park over lockdown, and people really enjoyed it, but there were sort of comments going, oh, it's really upsetting sometimes because you show the animals died, or sows died or whatever. And the point of that is that is the reality of it. And you can't create this sort of fallacy that it's all lambs springing everywhere and stuff. But I often think farmers are worried about that. They're worried about any negative connotation or any negative image. But I actually think you should show it warts and all. It's really important. Yeah, yeah, I think so. You know, you've got to be respectful with it, obviously. But I think so, because if children just think food comes from the supermarket and they don't know where food comes from, and then they get a surprise when they go, well, beef comes from a cow. You know, it's just, for me, I've grown up, we used to feed lambs before. Before I went to school, I remember being in primary school, like eight years old, and my dad would make us feed the lambs, the pet lambs with a bottle before we went to school. But we knew... By December time, you know, lamb on the table was our lambs that we were fed out, you know. But we had a full circle of where our food came from. And I think it's really important. And again, through social media, we can do that. We just lost it a little bit because you can't just have this tinted glasses on that everything's just perfect and it just works out. But this is what happens. You know, David Attenborough doesn't avoid a crocodile has to eat an antelope. Do you know what I mean? Yes, the antelope will calf a calf and that calf might get eaten by a crocodile, but the crocodile has to survive. You know, it's the same thing. Yeah. So tell us a bit about your life growing up. So your parents are farmers. So you grew up in a farming environment. So were you always set on carrying that tradition through? Nope. <laughs> Not all. So funny enough, so when I was probably 15, 16, I wasn't really that interested. Probably up to 12 to 15, I wasn't that interested. When I was little, I used to go with my dad and stuff. And my dad would always tell me, like, oh, there's no money in farming, don't do farming. You know, kind of, he'd always kind of point out, I think just... Yeah, I heard a joke up and up at the time. I was thinking, okay, he doesn't want me to. So I was a bit off it. And I say at 15, I know you're still young, but like farmers start at like eight or whatever. And I remember doing it. But And then I went on holiday over to Portugal and then it was like an open ticket. We had family friends in Portugal who had a house and then I was there for four weeks. And like the third weekend, I was like, I want to go farming. That is what I want to do. I want to get a boiler suit and I want to go to farm. So it was great really because that was my choice. My dad would never push it onto me. He always said, that you know you don't have to go into it, don't have to go into it. There's a lot of factors of why I've pushed it so hard and kind of got quite obsessed with farming. 
But it's great working with my dad. I'm very fortunate. You know, I've been working with him for the best part of like 13 years properly. I say properly. I always say properly when I come out of uni. So I did a two-year course at the Royal Ag College because like beforehand, I'm helping a bit, but I'm a little bit useless at the same time. You know, I always got the jobs of rolling the field or, you know, cleaning something out. It's getting that extra responsibility, you know, that where you, you sort of get your own area in the farm that you're responsible for. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's Tom's jobs, and you become more than the weekend or Christmas cover, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's always been there. You know, you sort of carried on the tradition, which is really important. So the social media thing has really started, and you are now a presenter as well, aren't you? So that's really interesting. How are you finding that side of things? Yes, so that's nuts, really. It kind of grew, you know, when you don't think, I had no idea I would be half good at it if I am and that I wanted to do it, you know. And then I got the opportunity in 2022 in March and they asked me, would you like to do it? And I was like, I'll give it a go. We did a pilot in July 2020 and I must have not been too bad because we got six more episodes out of it. And then it seems to, it was on BBC Three, it was when BBC had just come back on Terrestrial. And it seems to have gone down really well. So with season two's coming out, so it can't be too bad. <laughs> but yeah, and I find it really fun. I quite like having the mix. I have nothing beats being on the farm and getting jobs done because at the farm at the moment, again, I'm developing quite hard. I want to kind of push further. I want to grow it. We've got so much going on. We've got a farm shop. We've just put a new cow shed up, looking at ways of milking the cows better. I want to get kids there because that's the big thing how I started is to teach people what goes on. So like when we have school kids come round or even on social media stuff when I post about it and they come round to me and they say, oh, I didn't know this happened or whatever. That's the amazing thing for it. So I have that perfect mix of when the TV rings, I can go and do it for a week or two or four weeks is what happened in the week at summer. But then I can come back to the thing that I really love is the farming. So I'm a very fortunate position. I didn't realise I'd enjoy the presenting stuff as much. I really like talking to other farmers and getting more experience or just talking about what they do and how they do it. You know, that's the amazing thing for me. It's really clear. It's obvious to me. You're a great communicator and you have this massive enthusiasm that you want to pass on. And that is so important in terms of education and getting the message across and reconnecting consumers with the produce that you know you're producing on the farm and that you do brilliantly through all your sort of channels and that's something that farming really needs to engage with and once farmers start to tell their story they're you know they see these things every day but as soon as you start telling your story to people that aren't seeing these things like lambing and milking it's like wow it's incredible the science behind it you know the technology behind it all people love that and i think that's really important and social media is really important in telling those stories i think you know it's a funny thing when you are a producer or a farmer producing food and then you open a farm shop i used to go to six farmers markets a week when we first started but you're having to talk directly to your customer aren't you and that is one way of you beginning to tell your story how has it been for you to you know open your farm shop because farmers aren't necessarily natural shopkeepers are they no, definitely not. And I understand some people, they just want to farm the land. They just want to work with their animals or work with their crops and that's it. And I get that. But we've always been to the end consumer. Well, I have in my life and my dad has in his life. So that transition was quite organic anyway. It made sense because of the doorstep deliveries we've got. I think we've got five rounds. We've got a wholesale around the go. So we've got kind of the customer base there anyway. So we thought, I'll give this a go and then we can chat to the end consumer. I'd like to think we're not the typical farmer, I would like to think. 
And my dad, growing up like that, has always had to speak to the NK2. So it's just worked. And then that's probably helped my social media as well because you can just explain it in layman terms. I think that's the big thing as well. You know, as farmers, we kind of know everything and we'll say like terminology that will just go over everyone's head so i kind of try and numb it down quite a lot and then explain it to people because that's what's important you know it doesn't matter what we do the end consumer has to buy our products at the end of the day and i think people had to buy our product because they had to eat but now we have to show them what we're doing and how we're doing it and like you were talking about before going on to a little bit of a tangent through social media i can go okay well i'm doing this on my farm that's going to help the environment and you can just show it so I'm looking to increase the bee population. We do worked on that this week, knocking back some stuff, putting some wildflower bird mix in. And then the other thing is we started using dribble bar that will put less ammonia into the air, which I find really interesting, difference between ammonia and ammonium. So it's putting it back into the ground, not into the air. And then loads of little bits like that that we do as farmers, we need to shout about and go, we are doing our best for the environment and we're making food that if you can't eat, you know, you had, I said this, I was very fortunate to be on the BBC Breakfast as well, which is super cool. Like me, Tom Pemson. I'm a small farmer in Lydon. <laughs> you were on the sofa. Yeah, I was on that sofa. I was there. And then I mentioned, like, you have to thank a farmer three times a day. It doesn't matter if you eat meat or you don't eat meat. You know, a farmer has created the food that has been on your table three times a day. You know what I mean? So that's what we have to get to the general public. And sorry for going on the tangent a little bit. It's just, it just kind of explains, you know? No, it's really important. And I think, you know, telling your story to your customers in your farm shop or if it's direct to the yes. general public is you're not only doing it for yourself, you do it for other farmers that don't have that opportunity to do that. And that's really important. The interesting thing about a farm shop, though, I was going back to farm shops, is that when we started our farm shop, we made the mistake of stocking it with the stuff that we just wanted to buy. So we just ended up with a shop full of stuff that it's the kind of shop we'd shop in. But of course, you can't always do that. You've got to put all these other little bits in and consumers are really sophisticated now. Farm shops aren't just like a bag of carrots and some potatoes and, you know, it's a bit and sawdust. It's, you've got to be, you know, almost sometimes like a lifestyle shop. You've got to be, you know, convenience. You've got to have that extra little thing you can get that you can't get from the supermarket. It's not easy, no. is it? I mean, when you listen to the archers... Open the farm shop seems quite straightforward. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine? It'd be so much easier if we could just have some spuds and some carrots and then the butcher <laughs> shop there. But now, like, everything, yeah. you'll know, like, even the meat counter is the basic meats from your lamb, poultry, pigs, beef. And then it's, like, your marinades, your barbecue section. You know, it's a massive section now. And then on top of that is, obviously, you've got your dairy section. You, what you want to do in a farm shop, it's not just... People don't now, how they want to shop, they don't want to go to three or four shops. They want to come to our farm shop and they want to grab a meal. You know, they want to get their weekly meal. Yes, a lot of them will come for the steaks because they're higher quality and they know where it's come from, X, Y, Z. But then we've found that people who do shop, they want to create that meal. So that's a bit difficult. And like you said, some of the stuff will stock that is in a normal supermarket or a convenience store because you've got to have those little bits. But we're trying to find something different. And the problem with those different stuff is obviously they're a higher value and a higher cost. So it's a very happy medium. You know, people are definitely cautious on the wallets and it's probably going to get even harder soon. And then the other thing that we had to do is we put a pantry on so people that can come for lunch so they can buy a sandwich and go and then but then there's so many things that you'll know as well and then you've got to buy the sandwich either eat in the van or you've got to have somewhere for the guys to have the food or eat the food and then it's got to be nice then you've got to view it oh god and then on top of farming it's just oh yeah it's, it's endless but it is quite exciting in some ways because not every farmer can do it i mean no. if you're 
you know, a hill farmer, you're not going to get a lot of traffic coming past your farm. You've got to be able to have a population that's passing by or whatever. But we've found that, you know, the farm shop, when we had a butchery, that was all the big thing, but that's changed massively. So most of our produce now goes to our restaurant. So we've now built a restaurant on site where that's the next step, isn't it? And I've been to so many farm shops across the country where you've got the whole, you know, everything from the bags of carrots in great big sheds, you buy it in bulk, all the way to specific and specialised cheese rooms, um, restaurants, wine shops, all this kind of stuff. And even like with nature trails and farm parks, and it really does develop. It does offer farmers, though, that really important revenue stream because farming is changing and farmers will have to diversify in, in so many different ways. Well, yeah, 100%. What did he say? He said, a feed rep said to me, like, it must have been 15 years ago, I was young. The big get bigger and the small get out, but the small are getting bigger. If that makes sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the numbers of small farmers are getting bigger. It's interesting. There's a chap called Alan Savory, and he runs the Savory Institute. It's all about regenerative grazing. But he always says that farms will have to get smaller, but grazing areas, ranches will get bigger. But when it comes to the perception of farming now it's went through an amazing honeymoon period and everyone wants to know about farming was always really pro farmers i think with the rise of veganism there's sort of now another growing suspicion that somehow farming is bad and you read in the guardian george monbier say farming is the most destructive thing on the planet and la 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 i mean sometimes that really gets my goat to bring in the farming expression but because it's farmers really have only ever done what government incentives have pushed us to do or what the general public want. But it's funny how, I suppose, I've got nothing really against veganism. And I think veganism has been very important to get the industry to ask questions about themselves and look at what we do. But it's funny because somehow farming is bad and it's polluting and it's all the rest of it. And there are issues with it, don't get me wrong. But it's not an evil, is it? We wouldn't survive without it. It's a bit crazy. I completely agree with you to a point. But then there's Stuff that we can do as farmers, it depends how you look at it. I think the classic British farm, for me, does really well because we look after hedgerows. We have the wildflower bird mixes. We could do that. But before that, what happened was after the war, we needed to create food, didn't we? So the government was like, if there's any land, you've got to make food. Do you know what I mean? So that was when hedges was ripped out. This was done. That was done. And now we're going the other way. And farmers are doing great things like I was talking about before. Wildfowl bird mixes to increase the bee population, actually planting hedges, planting trees. I think that's really important. And what we're looking at on the farm as well, again, this is why I like to kind of promote what I'm doing. We're looking at like this paddock grazing and mob grazing because it's better for the environment. So it actually sequences the carbon instead of releasing it. So what I have my cows, which will do soon, I hope, is they're going to go on a 21-day rotation. So they only hit a field once every 21 days and then that lets the leaf grow sequence the carbon that's coming out of the air and it works out that's better for the environment and then there's larger companies buying carbon credits and that's another conversation because if farming was so bad how could you buy credit from me do you know what i mean if that makes sense it's just baffling you know what i mean that's like offsetting and your mob grazing is really interesting so that's the idea of copying nature where you'd have say your cattle in quite high densities and you'd move them from paddock to paddock, just like you would get wildebeest moving in big groups. And they're often, you know, the reason they move in compact big groups is because there's a load of lions often pushing them around, just like you get buffalo wood with wolves. And But you are, in effect, that predator. But you, as a farmer, you're moving the cattle around. And that really stimulates the grass to grow. It probably cuts down on your feed bill as well. 
Yeah, we're, we were, we're working on it. I'm not fully there yet, but we're getting better. But there's so many farmers that do it already. And I think that's the thing that, you know, it's so good and it's so amazing. Yeah, exactly what you say. We bring down feed costs. But then if I can be better for the environment and we're all going to be after carbon neutral at some point. And I don't think farmers are too far away, but that's without me doing the studies. I don't know about that yet. I'd like to think so, especially us, what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've seen it. That chap I was talking about, Alan Savior, I, I interviewed him about, oh, wow, it must have been sort of 12 odd years ago. Wow. And he's demonstrated by using specific mob grazing. And he, he often writes a grazing schedule to specific environments. He has turned desert back to lush, verdant pasture. And he's done that in Australia. He's done it in Kenya, South Africa, the States, Canada. And it, you know, it's shown over 30 years and you see the pictures before and after. So cattle could really be the answer to actually locking in carbon and also holding in water resources, all these things. And that's where that phrase comes from. It, it's not the cow, it's the how. It's how the cow is farmed that has that effect. And I think often when we have issues with people talk about the dairy industry or we talk about the beef industry there's a danger of throwing the baby out with the bathwater because actually these farming systems if they're adapted can actually be the solution and not the problem so i completely agree i think the other thing is if we didn't have animals we didn't have cows to do what they do on our land as well if you just kept planting crops and then putting artificial fertilizer on or you know pesticides on the land that land's going to get a bit dull and the problem is what you could say is, like, okay, we won't put fertiliser on it. But if you don't put fertiliser, we will not be able to feed the world. I think without fertiliser, we can feed about 3 billion people in the world. You know, now we're getting to about 7 or 8 billion. So with fertiliser, we'd be able to feed them just, you know what I mean? We're still people who are struggling for a bit of food around the world. So we've got to look for that. In the UK, we're great because we get rain, because we get sunshine. And we are a highly populated island with livestock. And I think it's really important. If we took that away, are we going to turn ourselves into deserts? And I know we would leave other bits for wildlife. and We could grow more trees. But the actual land that we grow our crops with because we'd have to use more land to grow the crops with that we're using now because whatever the problem with that we're just going to take all the resources out we can't just keep putting fertilizer on as in synthetic fertilizer and sunshine we need the muck we need the body to grow the crops because we'll just in 100 years time we'll be paying for it Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I, for me, you can't recycle nutrients efficiently without the use of livestock. And it's a funny thing where often where you think we should all be plant-based is that what are you going to grow those plants in? And often people think that just going plant-based is all going to be allotment grown or whatever. It's not. It's going to be large-scale you know, industrial farming. But when it comes to farming in the future, I do think you know, the biodiversity crisis, which is a crisis, if you compare us to other countries in Europe, we're pretty low in terms of biodiversity. Farmers are going to be the solution to that. And I think incentives paid to farmers to put biodiversity back is really important. And when it comes to feeding people around the world, it's interesting because I did a couple of big shows about farming. And all the remit was, based in the UK and around the world, was like, we must feed the growing population. It's always about how do we become more efficient? How do we do this? How do we feed more and more people? And we are nearly 8 billion, but I think we produce enough food to feed 10 billion, but we waste a third of it. So I think in developed countries, we're very efficient at producing food. I think now those skills need to be incentivized to put biodiversity back, because that's the key to the proper soil health and, and being a real buffer. And when we see sort of pundits in the media talking about, we must do this, we must do that, farming's a problem. The people that are gonna make the big changes when it comes to putting the biodiversity back and the leaders are gonna be the farmers because they're the ones that know the land best, right? Yeah, 100%. We know how our land will grow and I know what kind of crops are going to come off. So what we were talking about before, and I'll go to the other point you posed in a minute, I just thought uh, we are in a mid-tier scheme. So that means we choose what we want to do. There's little things, you get points. Let's say you've got to get 100 points, but we've got to do bits. So one of the points that we do is we don't spread slurry or fertiliser four metres away from this woodland that we've got. And then I did this little video last week, the week before, of us spreading slurry. We do six, eight metres just to make sure because you don't want to get in trouble for getting that wrong. And the difference between growth when we were talking about not fertilising and fertilising it just with slurry was unreal. Like there must have been an inch or two of growth without the fertiliser and it must have been four inches with. And it was just fantastic. You know, the crops you can grow with the way we do it. And we do need to change. Obviously me, 120 cows, 250 acres farming. I'm not going to change the world, but I'm going to do my little bit. And I think that's the important thing to do. And when you say slurry, slurry is an interesting word, isn't it, right? Because for people that aren't at favour with those sort of terms, that can often sound like a negative thing, slurry, isn't it? But what it is, it's natural fertiliser, isn't it? So tell us about slurry. What's slurry? Yeah, so slurry is obviously cow muck coming out of the cow muck, cow pee. It goes into our reception pit and then goes into our slurry store. We have a bubbler now so it doesn't have a crust on it so it makes the consistency of the slurry really good. We now use the dribble bar and our tanker so it puts it out, what I was chatting about before, it's the slurry, so like the black muck and the black waste, and it puts it out into ammonium into the ground. When you put a splash plate, which is the traditional way of doing it, it turns into ammonia, well bits of it, 
and ammonia goes into the air, which is bad for the air, ammonium into the ground, which is good. And I'm learning this stuff as I'm cracking on. And in Ireland, it's fully law now. You've got to use a dribble box. In the UK, it's going to come. And then we came for it and we're seeing really good results from it. And it, we're doing better for the environment. We're seeing more grass growth. So it's a real winner, really. And slurry is seriously important. And box muck. So box muck is your strawy muck. So your bedding muck. Slurry is more from your dairy cows that will go into your slats. Liquid. Yeah. When it comes to the bedding muck, you're putting the structure back into the soil, aren't you? You're putting... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's really important. P and K back in. Yeah. And I think when we use the term slurry, I think the general public, oh, that sounds terrible. It sounds like some terrible sort of industrial waste. It is just plant food that has been given to you through the beautiful biological process that the cow does of eating its own food, you know, and it's the gift from the cows is the plant food you're putting back on pasture to produce more milk. Yeah, yeah, it works well. My dad always says, if you feed them well, they'll poo well, and you can spread it on your <laughs> land well, and it's a cycle. So if you don't yeah. feed them well, yeah. the poo won't be very good, it won't grow the grass. If you feed them well, it's grow good grass. Completely, and I think that's what's really important about the message you bring across as farming is that the terms that people associate with something that's negative, actually when you scratch the surface, it's a really important process. And all you're doing is mimicking nature and what happens in nature, really. You know what I mean? It's uh, one of those things. So also tell me, because you've been super busy, you've now written a book as well, haven't you? Yes. Right, tell me about the book. Make Hay Where the Sunshine's brilliant title. So what's it about? Okay, so the book is A Year on the Farm. What happens on a year from, from January to December, really, on the basics of my kind of year? It's not an autobiography, but what it is is, so what we all do and what the typical jobs are going on, but then like my little anecdotes of growing up with my dad and growing up with my family, feeding the lambs in the morning or, you know, my dad putting uh, fencing. There's just, there's loads in it and it's great. And it, well, I think it's great. It seems to have gone down quite well. We got top 10 in the Sunday Times bestseller, so that's pretty good. For someone like me who's like seriously dyslexic, I had a man who helped me write it. And it was a bit like this. So it's a bit like, you know, you start early in the morning three o'clock in the morning you just get some pages done or I voice record myself I video myself he came to farm with us a few times and yeah we got it done it took 18 months so yeah it was a pretty big ordeal but it seems to have gone down great and some of the stuff is the way that I think as well and how I think on stuff I get quite obsessed with some stuff which obsession has a very bad oh you shouldn't be obsessed with it but if you want to be good at anything you have to be a little bit obsessed so that's what happened with farming when I started properly when I was 19 20 and then obviously with the YouTube stuff and then with the book stuff if you want to be good at something and I found like you can get good at anything I didn't know the back end of a computer really before I started and like now I'm half decent with one you know but it's just doing it anything you want to do you can literally do if you put your head down to it that's what I write about in the book it's just bits of how I think and how I do but like obviously life on the farm I think it's great I think what's really important is that any avenue you get for people to have a trip into the countryside or to get underneath what happens on a farm on a daily basis for it not to be boring is to see it through your eyes and your passion and I think that's what you do you know what is really wonderful is when you see young people connecting with farms or visiting farms and get to talk to people like yourself and I know a number of farmers like you and it's so important that people reconnect and understand and also they see farmers as approachable people a friendly industry you know that's what I think is really important there's a connection and engagement between consumer and producer because whenever that happens we're a healthier nation. Yeah, 100%. Because it all boils down to how we really started. If the general public knows what goes on and how they'll do it, maybe. The other thing as well, they'll buy British more. I think we'd buy British more. Obviously, you've got 
another job with that because it's easy for me to say but if you're really struggling and you're on the breadline and things are getting really hard you're going to look for the cheapest but if people have got a little bit more money and they think oh well, i want to buy british because i let's say they're on the verge of maybe go vegetarian or vegan you go actually i've watched this i know what happens i like this i am going to buy this product i'm going to spend the extra 10 percent, 20 percent for a british product because i know what happened completely and going back to social media it's really interesting that the massive rise of veganism it was really kicked off by films like Cowspiracy. And that's the power of the media. And there really hasn't been efficient counter-argument, I don't think, that has reached the same audience. And it's something that needs to be addressed because I think once people do see the reality of the kind of farming that you do, they're like, oh, I see, I get it, I get it. And that's really important. So for guys like yourself, social media, it's vital to bring that story across. Yeah, but I completely agree. And to say that there hasn't been something to promote, like Ottenbrook Farming as bad as it has been to go against it, I think because what you'll know, if there is something that goes bad and something that goes good, you know what's going to lead on the front end of that paper. Do you know what I mean? And that's why if someone like, if, oh, all sunshine's of rainbows of everything, this goes right, no one's going to watch it. It's like, so they'll report something, it'll be headline, and if they get it wrong, it'll be an apology in page five in the corner. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like, oh, it's clickbait, isn't it? You know, they've got the views. Yeah, it is. But also I think that the rise of veganism, I'd say is really quite a good thing to get people eating more veg more fruit and veg, and probably a little bit less meat, okay? I think that's been quite a good thing. I think what the bad thing, and I think the reality of what's gonna happen is we're gonna see a larger consumption of processed and fast food that is in the vegan sector. Because the reality is, is that you're getting pea protein, all these kinds of stuff, and it all goes into the vegan fast food world. And it's like, that's not a healthy thing, that's a bad thing. So I think we'll probably see obesity carry on increasing. I think because it started like it was very healthy, it was all veggies and stuff and everything was like natural and not very processed, like you say, but it's like everything that happens, it sells more because it's got a bit more sugars in it. It's like a McDonald's, it's Moorish, isn't it? You know, that's how they sell it. And that's the problem, like you're saying, people, oh, we can process this. This actually sells even better and even better. Right, let's just make more of that. And then we'll go back and we'll go backwards. And then you and Jamie will make something and we'll go, actually, something's happened here. You know, it was in 10, 15 years ago. <laughs> remember when it started, this happened. And I remember the podcast and Tom said we'd do this. <laughs> <laughs> so do you know what I mean? You can see it, can't you? The thing is about us humans, if it works really well, we'll just keep going keep going and abuse it and then it will go bang yeah. and we'll go oh that's annoying <laughs> exactly make it cheaper and cheaper so yep 100 percent. farm shop you've done the book youtube channel the tv presenter on terrestrial what are you doing next by the way you're going to put me out of a job as well aren't you? <laughs> no we can work together we can do it all we can attack it no like so i'm really big on saying yes to everything and trying it and see if it works with me quite well i just like to keep going forward I got married as well last year as well, so that was busy on all the stuff. Put a brand new shed up last year. I want to develop the farm wow. a little bit more. I love the hand second hand set. Stop, stop. That was hilarious. So you go, yeah, got married. I put a brand new shed up at the farm. <laughs> you can't put the two in the same bracket. Put an end on, and I got married. Not, and I put a big shed up on the farm. <laughs> No, because you were saying what we're doing next. And then finally, that we get to go on our honeymoon. Lovely. So it was like, you know, I get to do that. And then she does well to do me. I'm very lucky to have her because I tell you what, not a lot of people would live with me. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I think so. And what about the next generation? 
Are you planning children? Well, one day, yeah, maybe. It's just there's so much going on at the moment. And like I like say, what I want to do next is develop and go forward. And I am mad. It'll be very rare. I will still be in bed at half five in a day. And I'll be up at three, you know, three times a week. Just going and it would just be flat out. And I'm really enjoying it. And I think it's great. I just want to go forward. You can kind of see where I'm at. I can't sit still at the moment. It's a little bit of a nightmare. So probably holiday is going to help a little bit. <laughs> But it's interesting, isn't it? Because that's love and interest. I imagine when you go on holiday, I met a Cornish farmer once and he said, I hate going on holiday. I can't sit on the beach. He said, when I go on holiday, I go and get a job in a local farm. And it could be in Spain or France or whatever. He's obsessed with it. No way. Yeah, so do you do that when you, if you go on holiday? You can't sit still. You have to go and look over the hedge and see what they're milking over there or... Oh, to be fair, no, I'm quite good. I'm quite good at just going. It's kind of like you're on holiday, I think. My wife might say something different, but I think I kind of just chill because I'm just ready for it, I think. I say that, we've not been for like three or four years, so it will be great just to chill. And the other thing that we have that I've found really important in the past two or three months, I've not been able to do it. We try and have every other weekend off, and then on my weekend off, I'm probably in one day just kind of doing little bits. But that is massively important, and again, a bit of a tangent, but you need some time off, because when I do have the time off the farm basis, I might just come home and do some work on my weekend off or whatever, or we'll go for a dog walk, or we'll go looking at whatever. Um, you come back to the farm, you look at it with fresh eyes, and you come back on that Monday with some serious energy, and I think that's really important. So, like, holidays, are def- I don't go on enough, probably, but it's important to just have that slow down and go, right, <laughs> settle down, come back and hit it hard, because I think you hear about these farmers that are working all the time, and they're working every single day. They don't have a day off, and I just think, have a day off, have two days off, and just see what your Monday's like, because I bet you do a lot more work. Yeah, it's true, it's true. But it's always very difficult for some farmers to get that time off, isn't it? You know, and because often one man band, they've just got to keep plugging away, nothing else can do. But but often getting away and coming back, you do see things with different eyes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's I guess it's easy for me to say because we've got quite a bit of staff on, so I can kind of have that bit of time through social media because obviously the TV stuff or some you know what TV's like. They'll ring you on a Monday and say, "Could you come in tomorrow?" So it's kind of like you've got to be quite flexible. Yeah, yeah, it's erratic. It's very erratic. And then when we see, and I read lots of things in the papers of what's going to happen in the future with farming, how our food's going to be produced from precision fermentation to lab-grown meat and all that kind of stuff. How do you see the future of farming? I can't see it grown in a lab. If it has to be done because of the population growing, I think that's an issue, which is a global issue. I can see it, but I can't see it being very natural, which it's not natural, is it? And I think these farms that are, they're growing like veggies on racks now, aren't they? And I think that's a bit of a worry. But if they didn't do that, would we be able to feed the world? You know, you're saying we can feed 10 billion. Would we be able to feed the world if we didn't feed it on racks? You know, I think there's a lot of greenhouses in Spain now where you see these photos and you think, and I guess... I always try and look at it both ways. You know, I'm looking at it like, oh, that's bad and that's a nightmare, but we're just seeing it from a media way. I need to go have a look in there and see what's going on. It might not be possible, but I'd love to go, okay, this is why we do it and this is how we do it. You know, is that natural to grow veggies inside in a greenhouse? Technically, if you use an artificial light and I don't know what they're putting on them, are they just growing naturally anyway because they're doing it so well in a greenhouse or do they have to do something because they're finding a new disease that comes, which could be terrifying. Sure. I mean, I've seen lots of things like that. And a lot of times you think, actually, it makes sense. It's, you know, I've seen greenhouses, very productive, all the rest of it. Well, the bigger, big drivers of all those things, though, have often been the price, you know, people's price point. And I think 
that we're all seeing inflation at the moment. It's what nine percent going up to ten percent, and but I think inflation in farming is near enough thirty percent when you look at all your costs. But I think how we value food has got to change. Now we're all feeling the pinch in our pockets. I think how we value food and not wasting it is equally as important as you know, rather than the big drive to get the price down. Because if you think about it, food waste now is more polluting than plastic waste, which is crazy. You know, so I think that's going to change. I think it's a very exciting time to be in farming because there's all these big changes, all these big fluxes. We have a big environmental problem that needs to be solved. Farmers are going to be the driving force of that. There's all this debate about veganism and regenerative farming and you know lab-grown meat, all this sort of biotech that's coming in. It's a very exciting time. Lots of people think it's a very worrying time. I think it's very exciting. And I think what's really exciting is that we've got farmers like you in the media and on social media that can get the enthusiasm and the excitement across without the negativity. Yeah, yeah. I am a very enthusiastic and excitable person and we're kind of like that in our family. And the other thing, like when I'm watching someone, you don't want to watch someone who's just going like the boring old history teacher, like of the of old, you know. You don't like the guy who was excited, we had a history teacher called Mr. Calshaw, he was excited, he made little jokes, and you remember and like you know, he used to say, This is me in a nutshell and just do this, put his hands over his head and you remembered <laughs> what he said after it. So that's why I'm excitable and that's why it because if you are teaching someone, they'll learn someone just going this is how we do things there is a place for it because sometimes i kind of sit down for half an hour and watch it but i don't watch that all the time and what you're talking about food waste as well again i just trying to answer both those questions is that i think there's two things about the bigger polluter than food waste because when we as a dairy farm we use a lot of waste off like a brewery you know by brewers grains and stuff but if we didn't eat them as cattle and we didn't farm the cattle that would just compost down and then that compost is creating methane and that methane goes into the atmosphere so we're better putting into the cows creating milk and then controlling what comes out the back of the cow through the dribble bar you know it all works like that you know it's just if you stop something end product has to go somewhere listen it's been a real pleasure talking to you and if i had my way i think you should go to every school in the country because i think you are a brilliant communicator your enthusiasm is you just unstoppable and you are a, a great ambassador for farming and just keep on going Thank you. Yeah, we try. Got it, haven't you? You know, it's exciting. If you enjoy it, it's easy to do. Thank you very much for having me on. So, folks, that was the irrepressible Tom Pemberton. I mean, he talks like a machine gun. It's, <laughs> I should get paid by the word. But I love his enthusiasm. He is truly one of the good guys. You know, putting it out there of what farmers do day to day. It's so exciting. And he really does bring to life the fantastic job that farmers do up and down the country. So please get onto YouTube, watch his YouTube channels, watch his TV series, read his book and follow on Instagram. He is wonderful. Now listen, if you've enjoyed this episode, please like, leave a comment wherever you get your podcast. It really does help other listeners find us. And I will see you all back here on the farm for another episode of On Jimmy's Farm. Now, back to these cheeky monkeys. What are you up to, guys? Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.